This episode of the Incluvi Movie Podcast is brought to you by Wolf Greenfield. Welcome to the Incluvi Movie Podcast, where we talk about all things media and diversity. I'm Kathy Yee. And I'm Matthew Stiuso. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing Asian representation in the United States, from Squid Game all the way to Studio Ghibli. We'll also be joined by Michelle Sugihara and Jess Chu of CAPE, the Coalition of Asian Pacifics and Entertainment, to hear their thoughts on the topic. But before that, we're going to get into our pop culture moment and talk about what's new and trending in entertainment. Comedian Dave Chappelle has been making headlines after releasing his latest special, The Closer, on Netflix. While many are celebrating his return, going so far as to give him a standing ovation for his opening joke about being cancelled, many are upset that Chappelle again doubled down on transphobic humor. Yeah, as a comedian myself, I I have a lot of respect for Chappelle's contributions to the industry, but I'm really just so disappointed that this is the hill that he really seems to want to die on. Uh, This is not the first time he's spoken about transphobic humor and saying that your hashtag team turf is not really cool and it's also not funny yeah many are calling for the special to be removed from netflix for the inflammatory and hurtful comments towards the lgbtqia plus community but there are still many defending Chappelle. you know there is a very fine line in comedy between trying to make humor out of a dark situation and straight up just bashing a community. And I do have to agree with GLAAD and the National Black Justice Coalition in their condemnation of the special. Trans people, especially Black trans women, are still an extremely marginalized and endangered community. And while I do think the issue of whether or not the special should be removed is bigger than me, personally, I will say that I will not be watching, even out of morbid curiosity. True. Me too. But with that being said, we're going to take a look at our main topic, Asian representation from Squid Game to Studio Ghibli. So, Squid Game is still Netflix's number one show, huh? Yeah, seriously, it has been taking over. It is all over social media. It is the biggest thing right now. In 90 countries, too, including the US, Singapore, Norway, Russia, Morocco. Yeah, 90 countries. That's huge. Yeah, I don't know what it about, like, what about it is making the show such a big global hit. We actually just made a TikTok of this question exactly, actually. Five reasons why Squid Game is so popular everywhere. Oh, how convenient. I'll have to check that out. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I actually wanted to share other reasons I didn't mention in the TikTok. The show was honestly just super well made. The cliffhangers were on point. Also, Sabok, the girl, was so cool. I would definitely want her on my team. I know my personal favorite was definitely player number one. I think he really stole my heart. And he also was just genuinely such an interesting character to throw into the mix of the squid game. And I just loved the wisdom that he brought uh, to the group. Um, I am not finished, but I am really holding out hope for him. He is just such a sweet old man. No. Okay, well, I'm not going to say anything on that. (laughs) I usually... <laughs> I usually avoid violent content. I think it's excessive, and yeah, I'm just not into that blood and gore. However, I did get hooked on Squid Game somehow. One of my favorite fun facts also mentioned in that TikTok is that watching thrillers and horrors is actually good for your mental health and improves your well-being. 
Um, I have never heard that before, but that must be why I'm so mentally healthy, because the majority of what I watch seems to always be horrific and thrilling. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Scientists say it releases hormones like adrenaline, cortisol, and norepinephrine, alleviating tension and resulting in a mood boost. Then after, the brain releases serotonin, creating a sense of well-being. I know Squid Game isn't the only thriller out there, but it does help explain why I and millions of others would enjoy a show like this. Why do you think it's so popular? I mean, watching it, I can see why it is so popular. I was just so hooked, and with only nine episodes, the idea of watching it all in one day is very, very tempting. You know, I also think a lot of people really felt for the characters and especially the desperation that brought each of them to the game in the first place. You know, after two years in a pandemic, I'm not sure who wouldn't also be tempted by the offer of lifelong financial security. The show also features a mostly Korean cast with one Pakistani character, Ali. It's a new worldview for a lot of people. I think that having such a unique story, especially primed by the growing affinity for new identities, is actually really captivating to people. Yeah, and Squid Game just seems to be the latest hit in the recent uptick in crossover appeal of Asian media in the U.S. Parasite, the South Korean film by Bong Joon-ho, proved that foreign language films can not only be contenders for major awards, but straight up took home Best Picture and Best Director. Also, films like The Farewell and Minari have had huge success despite being predominantly not in English. It's been steadily increasing over the last few decades, and I agree that it's really ramped up recently. Of course, we can't forget about the classics like Studio Ghibli and the power of kawaii. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> it really is cute yeah, and influential. <laughs> Studio Ghibli has been beloved by millions around the world since the 1980s. I can't believe Castle in the Sky came out way back in 1986. I mean, Studio Ghibli is absolutely timeless and definitely on the other end of the spectrum content-wise from Squid Games. I mean, I've been such a yes. fan of... Studio Ghibli, ever since I first saw My Neighbor Totoro, which is probably the single most pure and heartwarming movie I've ever seen. What are your favorites? I really love Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle. Yes. I wanted to like Princess Mononoke um, because, yeah, it was just so... <laughs> I really wanted to like Princess Mononoke more, but it was honestly a really long film, and I wanted her to be in this film more, yeah. more screen time. I realized when rewatching it that the main character is actually Ashitaka, the village boy. I'm excited to rewatch some of the films like Kiki's Delivery Service Love. and Castle in the Sky. Love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I have yet to watch the new one with Airwig and the Witch, which just came out last year. Yeah, one thing that the success of these films and shows hopefully conveys to American production companies is that we don't need to have Americanized, more specifically white versions, of Asian films and television in order for us to enjoy content. A lot of extremely renowned films like Old Boy and Train to Busan have been given American remakes, which in the case of Train to Busan is incredibly confusing because Busan is not in America. Old Boy, yeah, <laughs> Old Boy also completely whitewashed the original story by casting Josh Brolin and subsequently bombed at the box office. I mean, of course, this isn't exclusive to Asian language films, but the fact that it seems to be happening so frequently and the fact that the remakes consistently fail to live up to the original is a bit puzzling. If they're going to insist on Americanizing films, I don't see why they can't at least keep Asian American actors in the roles. Cough, cough, ghost in the shell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Bong Joon-ho, the director of Parasite, has an amazing quote from when he won a Golden Globe, where he says that, Once we overcome the one-inch barrier of subtitles, we will be introduced to so many great films. And I totally agree. Yeah, and I mean, dubs are always an option too, although I do much prefer using subtitles. Granted, I do use subtitles when I watch shows in English, but that's just because I'm weird. Um, I saw the first episode of Squid Game dubbed, and it actually came across as a bit disconnected between the physicality of the actors and the voice performances, um, just because the mouths weren't lined up. So watching it with the subtitles for me was a much more pleasant and enjoyable viewing experience. Nice, yeah. I generally use subtitles too, just because I have bad hearing. But the Squid Game dub did cast Asian American actors in the role, which is nice to see. I know Studio Ghibli, which is very popular and beloved, does usually release an English language version with mostly Caucasian actors. I'm not a fan of this. There's plenty of Asian American voice talent that would be both more authentic and appropriate. Yeah, I have seen Studio Ghibli films both in Japanese and in English, and they are able to produce quality dubs, mainly because you don't really get distracted by the mouth movements when it's animation. And although I have watched the dub versions, I do agree with them needing to hire more Asian American voice talent. But like we saw with Squid Game, hopefully that's the direction that we are trending in. Absolutely. After a quick break, we'll be joined by our guests Michelle Sugihara and Jess Chu from CAPE to continue the conversation with more of a focus on Asian American representation. This episode is brought to you by Wolf Greenfield an inclusive intellectual property law firm based in Boston and New York, offering a full range of IP services, including patent prosecution and litigation, opinions and counseling, trademarks, licensing, diligence, and more. Diversity and inclusion are integral parts of Wolf Greenfield's culture and are critical components of the firm's goals of innovation and teamwork and providing clients with optimal service. They understand that they have a professional obligation to promote equal access to justice, And this obligation begins at Wolf Greenfield, where they promote a collegial and familial atmosphere, set diverse hiring and retention goals, and mentor new team members. Check out their Diversity Fellowship Program, where IP Law Fellows are awarded up to $25,000. I'm joined by Executive Director Michelle Sugihara and Director of Programs and Operations Jess Chu from CAPE. CAPE is a coalition of Asian Pacifics and entertainment, and it is the premier nonprofit organization creating opportunities and driving Asian and Pacific Islander API success in Hollywood. It works to shift culture through storytelling to create a better world. Since 1991, CAPE has fought for API representation in film and television because what we watch on our screens should reflect the world in which we live and project a better one. I love it. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Jess, for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us, Kathy. So, yeah, you do a lot of work with API representation. So based on what you've seen and what you feel, what do you feel the climate of API representation is in film right now? I can start. This is just you. I mean, I think definitely if we look at the long history of film, it's definitely better now than I think it's ever it ever has been. I think audiences are hungry for different stories. They're open to 
new perspectives, watching things in other languages. Um, and I think that's undeniable. But at the same time, I think we are always looking for more progress, more stories, but, you know, deeper stories, just just more. Um, and that's something we always want to keep in mind, celebrating what how far we've come while still pushing for more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely. Really, it's it's exciting to see the conversation is changing and evolving. Whereas maybe five years ago or six years ago, when I first started at Cape, Fresh Off the Boat had just come online and it was really just excitement about seeing ourselves on screen again after so long, at least on the TV side. And now the conversations are just a deeper level. So now we're really talking about authenticity of stories. We're talking about colorism. We're talking about casting. Mm -hmm. We're talking about what it looks like behind the screen, diversity on that level. And so I, I really am heartened to see the conversations and the thought process around it changing and being challenged. And to me, it's really social media and streaming that have really changed the game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially with social media, everything's more accessible um, for content creation too. Did you want to get into some current films? Currently, as we record this, it's October, which is Filipino American History Month. It's also Breast Cancer Awareness Month and Anti-Bullying Month. So I know there's just a lot of different issues being celebrated this month, but just specifically, uh, we wanted to mention there's a show, a movie on Lifetime. It's called List of a Lifetime. It's the, their show that they're uplifting for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And it has two Asian American leads. It stars Kelly Hu and Sylvia Kwan, and it's directed by Roxy Shi. And it premieres on October 10 on Lifetime. Oh, okay. That's exciting. Yeah. That's a good show rec for our listeners or a movie rec for our listeners. Nice. Yeah, I think it's really also just exciting that that Lifetime generally is diversifying their their slate and to have a show with, with two Asian leads directed by an Asian female is, is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you had a chance to see the premiere of it or, or you know, you just heard good things by word of mouth? Yeah, I've actually had a chance to watch it. Um, and then on the Filipino-American History Month side, uh, the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival presented by Visual Communications just wrapped on Saturday and their closing night film was Dante Bosco's directorial debut. It's called The Fal- mm-hmm. Fabulous Filipino Brothers that he did with a bunch of his family members. Oh, that's super exciting. For our listener, Dante Bosco did the voice of Zuko in Avatar The Last Airbender. Like, that's great to hear some of the more up-and-coming independent films. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, why do you both feel that representation is important in general in film? I can start here. I mean, I think representation in media is huge because this is probably one of the most important and fastest way to shift culture because we're just inundated with media from the moment we wake up to the time we go to sleep. And really it's 
how people are seen and perceived. What we watch on our screens affects how people think, act, and feel. And there's a concept called symbolic annihilation. It was coined 45 years ago by a researcher. But basically, the premise is if you don't see yourself reflected in media, it's as if you just you don't exist and that you it really has very strong impacts on your self-esteem and um, perception of where you fit in in the world. I also think that narrative content, um, you know, entertainment content specifically, the things we watch for fun, the things we enjoy, the things we return to because we love them so much have such a deep impact that I, you know, when we're watching it, we don't truly understand how deep it is. Um, for instance, there was a recent survey by uh, Launch, a, a nonprofit that asked Americans to name a prominent Asian figure, just like any prominent Asian figure. And 42% of those surveyed said they don't know one. Like they couldn't even come up with a name. So like that's speaking to symbolic uh, annihilation, that's right? And yes. then the <laughs> second two were, the second was Jackie Chan and the third was Bruce Lee. So notice who they do remember, right? They are mm-hmm. actors, martial artists, but really they're, it's because they're actors and they made beloved movies. And Bruce, Let, Bruce Lee, an icon, but he has been dead for over 50 years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Jackie Chan, very, you know, his, his, I love his movies, but I don't know in what the last, you know, American release or even like widely released American film he did was. So, you know, they didn't name politicians, even though we just went through a very, you know, well-covered election cycle. They did not name, mm-hmm. you know, tech founders. They didn't, you know, even though like YouTube and Yahoo had, you know, DoorDash all have, you know, Asian founders. There is something about those stories that we let into our lives that just sit deeper in our hearts and our minds. And so Uh the good things can have really positive effects. But the flip side is, you know, the insidious things can really can be really, really harmful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that leads me to my next question. How do you feel the anti-Asian hate has affected things in the last couple of years? You know, I think it's really just brought very, uh, it's just brought things to light. Um, I think obviously it's ramped up and now the conversation is in the mainstream consciousness. We've obviously seen an uptick in anti-Asian hate incidents since 2020, but those th- that's all being based on the perception of, you know, Asians as, you know, in bringing, bring, bringing viruses or bringing disease into this country, right? That's not new. Um, we've been saying that since the beginning, since Asians started immigrating to the United States in large numbers. You know, it's, it's just drawing on very well cemented stereotypes that have been perpetuated by media and entertainment, TVs, film, stories. Yeah. That really goes back to the harmfulness of the stereotypes and tropes that our community faces. So even just things like the modern minority myth or the perpetual foreigner 
over-sexualization of Asian women or the emasculation of Asian men. Again, this is all things that if people repeatedly watch this, they start to internalize and it's easier to treat people a certain way if you don't think of them as human. So that's again, the power of representation and why it's important. I, I think GLAD has a statistic that only 20% of Americans know a trans person in real life. And so that means 80% of the knowledge that they're getting about the community is through media. And I mean, it's the similar allegory to our community as well, that for anyone who may not know an Asian person or be as familiar with our various communities, they're learning mm-hmm. about it through the media. Right. Yeah, and you did mention some stereotypes against um, Asian Americans. Some who are not Asian American and some who are may wonder, what is actually wrong with the model minority Asian myth? Um, wouldn't that be a good thing to you know, be academically successful and professionally successful? Yeah, well, first it's, it's inaccurate because we are the largest, because our group is so vast and diverse, mm-hmm. we actually have the widest economic pay gap. So we're at the the top and also at the bottom. So mm-hmm. um, we look at these studies of the the pay equity and, and it's based against every dollar that a white man makes. Um, I, Indian and Taiwanese over index at a dollar and 21 and then at the high end of the scale and then at the lower end of the scale, uh, Burmese and Samoan communities make 54 cents for every dollar that a white man makes. So really to all yeah. just be in as the model minority, it, it also affects financial and economic policies. If we're, if we're mm-hmm. just seen as being successful, then really we're ignoring the rest of the communities. Those who are struggling. Yeah. Right, that do need help. Yeah. And there are yeah, some, definitely. there are some harmful aspects of the, just that myth itself. So you're success, you know, educated, successful, but you're also, you know, you're robotic. You're not creative. You're not a great leader. Dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it does and, really pigeonhole people. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, you know, that is a, actually a more recent kind of construct. It, it was definitely forged to kind of pit Asian communities against, um, you know, black and Latine communities during the civil rights movements. Um, so really just, just such a harmful like framework of how, of using, using the modern minority myth to, you know, prove something that number one is not accurate. And then also to mm-hmm. use, to put down other communities. So it's just harmful all around. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, I think there was a lot of question about that from, from our community and other communities too. Do you want to share with the audience any upcoming um, projects or events or things happening with CAPE or where they can find you on social media? Yes, you can find us at capeusa.org and follow us on social media. We're at Facebook at CAPE, C-A-P-E, and on Twitter and Instagram at CAPE USA. Okay, nice. We are currently open for our CAPE New Writers Fellowship, which is a writing and a professional development program for emerging TV writers as well. We have other programs like the Cape Leaders Fellowship, 
which uh, trains executives to rise to the level where they can be making green light decisions for other projects. We're incubating a an animation director's accelerator, as well as one for producers, stand up comics, assistants. That's a very big, um, you know, that's the that's the pipeline. And if we're losing people at the assistance level, we're not going to get them anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, Michelle, what else are we doing? Anyone is interested in more on the research side. We did a, Mm -hmm. a survey of working people in Hollywood and in connection with a study that the Gina Davis Institute did. And uh, you can find that on both the Gina Davis Institute's website as well as our website. Oh, okay. That's an exciting partnership. Well, yeah, I wanted to thank you both for being on the show, the show, Michelle and Jess. Um, That was a lot of wisdom and also great opportunities for our listeners. Um, So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you again for having us. Until next time. This episode of the Inclusive Movie Podcast is hosted by Matthew Stioso and me, Kathy Yee. I also serve as the show's executive producer. Our show is produced and edited by Hazel Bulliver. Special thanks to Michelle Sugihara and Jess Chu for joining us this week. Our theme music is made by Wadaboy. You can visit Incluvi.com to see the Incluvi score for a movie and read reviews focused on diversity and identity in media. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram or support us on Patreon at Incluvi. That's I-N-C-L-U-V-I-E. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to join us in two weeks for a new episode with a special guest. See you all then.